Welcome to Man Talk. Everything you wanted to know about men's health, but were afraid to ask. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Man Talk, the show that attempts to answer your personal questions with qualified professionals on a variety of subjects that concern most of our listeners. My name is Stuart, the voice of reason, along with my brilliant co-host, Michael, the voice of choice. We will inform, educate, make you laugh, and give you insight into the sometimes complicated world of men's health. You're not alone out there in what you're experiencing or feeling. There's a band of brothers out there going through the same stuff. So listen up, guys and gals, and get ready to learn, live, and enjoy your life. And above all, try to flush those cares away. Welcome to a new edition of Man Talk. Today we're welcoming Dr. Leon Bender, renowned urologist from Cedar sinai Medical Center in Beverly Hills. Dr. Bender has been treating patients for several decades and is the past chief of staff and chair of urology at Cedar sinai In fact, Dr. Bender knows more about your plumbing than the guys at Home Depot. No free advertising. Okay, 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 I got it. Welcome, Dr. Bender, and can you give us a little background in your experience in the field of urology? Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I've been a urologist for 50 years now uh, and in private practice in uh, Beverly Hills and, Lo and Los Angeles. Um, I am a general urologist, have been doing uh, the general field of urology with a specific interest in the last 15 years in stone disease. Otherwise, I have uh, been active at the hospital uh, and in uh, medical politics. Well, today's topics, we're going to talk about two things that are familiar to Dr. Bender, as well as to many people listening today. And the subjects are PSA and Nocturia. And Dr. Bender will talk in detail about these first two topics and what they are and why they affect our lives. So the first topic is PSA. Dr. Bender, what is it and why should we care? And let me interrupt one moment. It's not, PSA is not a public service announcement. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> PSA stands for, P PSA stands for prostatic specific antigen. It's a, it's a protein found in the blood. It was found in the late 1970s and was clinically became useful in 1986 when it became available for testing in men. Uh, it's gone through an evolution uh, in how we view mm -hmm. the, the use of PSA, uh, and, and that evolution has led us to the point, w which I'll talk about in a few seconds. But it, but it was the, the first detection method for picking up people with men with prostate cancer. Um, and the evolution that I'm talking about is we believed because it was a valuable test in picking up early prostate cancer that it should be done in every male uh, over the age of about 45. That has evolved into our understanding now of what PSA should be used for, where it's used, and what it may lead to if we do PSA and unnecessary uh, surgery or treatment. Uh, let me be, try to clarify that a little bit. There are, uh, there's been a joining of the ideas about PSA, and the most recent 
ideas are that PSA should not be done in men under the age of 40 nor over the age of 70. Uh, and, and it should only be used in men who are of average to high risk of get, developing prostate cancer. Uh, men who are, uh, who are uh, at high risk are those who have first degree relatives, that is a father, brother, or son who have prostate cancer and therefore may have some genetic predisposition to forming prostate cancer. Let me read you a, the, the latest statement from the American Neurological Association, which uh, I think really summarizes what I do in practice. It calls for physicians to discuss the limited potential benefits and substantial harms of screening for prostate cancer and should only be done if a patient expresses a clear preference to do so. And let me, let me clarify that a little bit more too. The American Urological says it should be a man's decision about, this, about testing for PSA after discussing this with his physician. The United States Preventive Service Task Force and the American Academy of Family Practice believes that there should never be PSAs done on men any longer. So there, there's, a, 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 there's been an evolution. There's a coming together of some ideas, but, we, but the, urolo the urologists have different uh, guidelines than do the American Academy of Family Practice. If that further confuses you, uh, you have to understand we've gone through this evolution. What, what would be the risk of someone having a PSA test? It's simply part of a blood workup, right? Blood lab work? Okay. Um, that, 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 that's been the crux of, of the discussion and looking back over the data for the last 40 years. Uh, that is that if you test a man for PSA and there's some abnormality found, then the patient is placed in a position where he has to make a decision about whether or not to have a biopsy done. If a biopsy is done, it has some, some risk, not very much risk, but some risk of infection, bleeding. Uh, again, in my experience, it's been minimal. Uh, however, we often pick up cancers that are very low grade and very early and may not need treatment. And the only reason why we know that now is because we've been able to look over the results of what we've done over the last 30 years. And, and we find that many, many men who have undergone treatment for prostate cancer probably did not need treatment. So, and I know, and I know that's hard to understand because when you say the word cancer to a man, he wants to have it taken care of. That's that, that was my first reaction is, is, well, first of all, is prostate cancer the only cancer that PSA would be an indicator of? Yes. And the risks of the, of the test or you're saying of the biopsy are minimal. Are there other are there other ways to detect cancer besides the biopsy, imaging or other? Uh, for, yeah, for the purpose of making a pathologic diagnosis, the only real test is to do a biopsy and have a, a, a pathologist who knows what he's looking at uh, read, the, read that slide. And, and what's involved in a biopsy physically for the, for the patient, for the man? Uh, w there are several imaging uh, studies that are done. Uh, there's MRI with ultrasound, but the standard uh, practice right now in the United States is ultrasound-guided needle biopsy. 
That is, an ultrasound probe is put into the rectum. We freeze the, ner the nerve fibers next to the prostate so that men don't feel the biopsies. And then we take anywhere between 10 and 15 biopsies in the prostate to sample to see whether or not there's cancer present in there. We can target the biopsies better if we have an MRI uh, corresponding with the ultrasound so that we can see the, the, the abnormalities better. However, th th that's not widely available. It's probably going to be uh, the standard in the, in the future. Dr. Ben, I have a question. What about the old touch and feel method where the doctor would stick or insert his finger, uh, you know, where to find out and feel around and check the prostate in that fashion? Um, that, that's something that's very important. The digital rectal examination or prostate exam is done not with a digital instrument. It's done with a finger, uh, and that's called a digit. And the digital rectal examination is where, the, where a, an experienced physician who feels the prostate can determine the size of the prostate, the consistency of the prostate, and to see whether or not there's any firm areas. The prostate should feel soft and spongy, and if there's a firm area, that often denotes an area of either inflammation or cancer. It's so, a little like you, Michael, a little soft and spongy. Kinda. Oh, my goodness, this sounds painful. Uh, it, you're talking about the digital rectal examination? It's yeah. not. Yeah, it's not so any worse than, than having a bowel movement. Really? Whoa. Do people ask you out to dinner after you give them that finger test or anything o like o that? Only, <laughs> only if they give me roses along with it. And, yes. and how often should you have this DRE? Uh, I believe that uh, an annual examination by a physician is, is important in everybody's health care. And so an annual rectal examination should be done. So so the patient just comes in and bends over? Now you're getting to my my doctor bend over. No, the, <laughs> the answer is when, is that your when they come over. I thought that, it was bender. It's bend over? Dr. Bendover. It's bend over. I, I've been nicknamed Dr. Bendover years ago. I like that. I uh, like that. And anyway, it doesn't have, no, this is not specifically for a prostate exam. It should be part of a routine physical exam. You should have your blood pressure taken. You should, you should have your um, blood counts done. Uh, you should have a complete physical exam. And part of that physical examination is the digital rectal examination. And also, you get a little bit more information because you can also feel for rectal cancers. And you can also see if there's any blood on the examining uh, glove. So, so it picks up other diseases other than prostate exams. That sounds like a very low-tech way to, even though it's, not, it's, it's called digital, but it's really analog. No, it's the same finger. Yeah. Each, is it the same <laughs> finger each year that you use, or do you switch them around? Or? It's the same finger connected to the same brain. Okay, just checking. Do you have to so, use the so same hand? Can, so that it can remember what it felt. No, seriously, I, I, would, I would think that the same doctor and the same rectum Con the consistency of that consistency consistency uh, or is it consistently consistently and consistently correct consistency well, both of those I, I would think that the familiarity with that region of the man's anatomy would probably help if you knew what it was like the year before or two years before sure that but that's why we also keep medical records uh because physicians and their patients uh change uh insurance companies change uh, uh, people move to different uh, locations, and so that there has to be a transmittable record uh, 
so, so that the next physician can understand what the first physician felt. If it's the same physician, it becomes easy because he can mark down what he felt in the record. Okay. Stuart, do we have any email questions? We do, we- actually. Um, we have one from Tom from Tallahassee, and quote, Tom writes, I'm 60 years old and in reasonably good health. I eat decently and exercise four times a week. I had my annual physical recently with my general practitioner and had blood work done ahead of the appointment. My doctor told me my PSA was too high. It went up from 4.0 last year to 4.8. Doesn't sound like a big change to me. Is this really a problem? And if so, what should I do about it? We, we anticipate the normal growth rate of the prostate to be 3 to 5%. And that is, as the prostate grows, it also makes more PSA. So you'd expect the, the PSA to rise by 3 to 5%. A rise from 4.0 to 4.8 is a 20% rise, and that would be alarming in the sense that it's above the anticipated uh, ex- expected change. At that point, uh, I would ask the, the uh, family physician or general practitioner to uh, be sure uh, that he sees a urologist to be evaluated it doesn't necessarily require treatment, but it requires somebody looking at it who's more specialized in the field. And so my question is, the PSA goes up. I, I had this happen to myself over a four-year period. Uh, my PSA went up 15 to 20% a year until it reached around four and a half. And at that point, my my internal medicine doctor, my GP, uh, said, you need to see a specialist, a urologist, who then took it from there and went the biopsy route. Um, what's normal for a 60 year old? What, what is the, is there a number? I think men like numbers. What's, what's a normal number for a 60 year old's PSA? Uh, the labs, uh, have a zero to four range up to 60 years of age. Um, there are some urologists in the country who, who are advocating that 2.5 should be the upper limit of normal for a 60 year old. And again, over 60, the range changes because the prostate begins to grow more rapidly, and the and the PSA changes uh, are reflected in different normal values okay. for that age group. Got it. Uh, we have another question uh, that came in through our email. And by the way, listeners, we take email questions. Stuart, what's our email address? Questions, man, talk. No, right? no, 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 no. One more time. Questions at. at mantalkradio.net. Send them in. (laughs) And you want to read that question? Okay. This is the one from Pat from Paducah. I'm 70 years old. My doctor's been watching my PSA rise. I've been listening to the man talk. I think you typed this up. I didn't type anything. Dr. Bender, thank you for this segment on PSA. I think that's been informative. We we want to now switch subjects. The next subject we're going to discuss, Dr. Bender, is Nocturia, which sounds like a Disney movie, but it isn't. It's all about the need to get up and go to the bathroom during the night more times than we would like, interrupting our sleep. Um, can you explain to us what nocturia is and what we can do about it? Sure. Nocturia is really a combination of two words, knock, which is nighttime, and turia is uh, urinating. So it's not just getting up at many times, it's getting up to urinate many times at night. Uh, sometimes people don't sleep well. Sometimes they have interrupted sleep because their dog uh, is uh, barking or is cuddling up next to them. So getting up at night is 
nocturia is getting up at night to ur- for the purpose of urinating. Okay. And there are many causes of... Stuart, how many times do you get up every night? Zero. Oh, baloney. That's exactly why I don't get up. I hate baloney. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody hates baloney except kids. Okay, so... Um, how many times do you really get up? I really... Maybe once if I do. Really. I, I get up about once. Well, what's what's average for a, six, uh, for a guy, say, 60? I, I would say once to twice would be acceptable... I can't tell you what's average because so many people sleep through the night or they get up three times at night. I would say one to two is acceptable as long as the person can fall back to sleep and function well the next day. In other words, if, they, if they're bothered by it, we call that a bother factor. If they're bothered by getting up once or twice at night and it interrupts their sleep and bothers them so that they can't function well the next day, then I think that uh, it, it needs to be evaluated. Uh, but I would think one to two times would be acceptable. Okay. And what if uh, your partner that you're sleeping with, if you're sleeping with one, says you're interrupting my sleep each time you get up? So And they don't have nocturia, but they have a nocturious partner. <laughs> what do you do about that? Sleep in separate well, you rooms? Just made a, <laughs> yeah, you just made up a new word, but it's okay. Nocturious. <laughs> I think there was an old uh, movie with Ingrid Bergman, Nocturious. When you, when you oh, no, that was Nocturious. Isn't that when you win, you're Nocturious? Oh, that's when you win and you urinate. No, that's at when night. you... You no. win, you urinate at night, you're Nocturious. No, you're Victorious if you can do that. And you're Nocturious and Victorious. Okay, um, Michael, we have any more questions? Oh, here, I have one that's been put on my desk from Jerry from Alabama. And Jerry writes up, it seems like I'm waking up to see the, use the toilet more. Should I do this in the Southern accent or Brooklyn? Brooklyn? <laughs> I think your Southern accent would be a Brooklyn uh, Southern accent. Brooklyn Southern. Okay, here we go. It seems like I'm waking up to use the toilet more and more often. I enjoy a couple of beers with dinner and then really try to stop drinking anything else before bed, but it doesn't seem to matter. What can I do to help this problem go away? When I talk to my friends, everyone seems to wake up too much. I have to get up to go to work, and I'm exhausted every morning. What was the question there, Jerry? <laughs> what was Jerry's question? I, was, I, I enjoyed your accent too much. I'm waking up too much. What, what's causing me to wake up so much to go pee? Well, number one, diuretic uh, effect of beer. Beer is a diuretic. It contains alcohol, and when it's excreted in the urine, it pulls water with it. And so that if he would stop drinking beers, it would be at least a good test to see whether or not he could sleep better. But there are several other reasons for getting up at night to urinate. Infections can do that. Prostate infections, bladder infections, uh, also uh, irritable bladders, uh, which can be caused by medication. Uh, some of the medications that people take can also cause retention of urine so that men don't empty their bladders well. And certainly the number one cause is enlargement of the prostate. The prostate surrounds the urethra like a donut surrounds a hole. And the urethra is the hole that goes through the center of the prostate. And, and as the prostate increases in size, it squeezes down and narrows the passageway, and it prevents proper emptying of the bladder. And if you don't empty your bladder, then your bladder always has fluid in it, and it makes you go to the bathroom more often. So you feel that pressure on your bladder, and that makes you wake up and want to go. Yes, and also if you're urinating against more resistance because the prostate is causing resistance, uh, then your bladder may become irritable, just as if you were lifting weights, for instance, your arms would become sore. You'd say, my arms are sore. Uh, but if your bladder becomes sore, it tells you 
go urinate, not I'm sore. Well, so are so suggesting drinking, of course, the obvious one, drinking less before bedtime, maybe not after dinner, diuretics, coffee, tea, coke, alcohol. Chocolate. Chocolate. Also, yeah, chocolate. chocolate. There's chocolate some parts of the world where eating chocolate after dinner is a, a tradition and a norm. You can, t- you can take it after dinner, just don't take it before you go to bed. So is there a number of hours that are between? I would say three. I would say three hours would be a good time to to stop drinking alcoholic beverages. You can certainly have a glass of water about two hours beforehand, but alcohol is again, as I said, is a diuretic and will promote more fluid than just the beer itself. It'll take fluid out of the body. Now we don't have and a lot. Urinate more often. We don't have a lot of time left. A couple minutes, um, but are there are there medical reasons that aren't you know that are beyond drinking diuretics or, or drinking too much liquid? I mean, are there urinary issues cause uh, men to get up more often during the night? I, I've heard of men getting up four, five, six. That would yeah. Be- again, as I said, probably the most common reason is enlargement of the prostate in men over the age of about fifty-five or sixty. Uh, if, if, if a 20 year old came in, I would think of something different, uh, but that doesn't happen very often. Uh, most of the time it's because of anatomical enlargement of the prostate, restricting the passageway and preventing the bladder from emptying or causing the bladder to work against resistance so that it, it feels it's causing a pressure on the bladder to work harder. And are there medications for those? There are, there are, there's, uh, five or six different medications to reduce the impact of the narrowing of the prostate uh, causing uh, uh, causing the urethra to become narrow. Many side effects? And there's um, the only major side effect is retrograde ejaculation. That is, it relaxes the, the prostate to the point where the neck of the bladder, which sits next to the prostate, also is relaxed, and if you ejaculate, the fluid can go back into the bladder. Stuart, uh, this is Michael. Thank you, Dr. Bender, or Bend Over, as we now know you. We, Dr. Bender will be with us next week for another show. Stuart, stay happy, stay yeah. healthy, and tune in next week for a show that affects so many aging men, and that would be erectile dysfunction. Thank Bye-bye. you. The information presented in this program is provided for general information purposes only and is not, nor is it intended to be, nor is it a substitute for professional medical advice and treatment. This program is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or injury. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. You should always consult a doctor or other health care provider for individual professional medical advice regarding your own health situation. We're Michael and Stewart with Man Talk on Radio St. George 100.3 FM. Submit your questions ahead of time to questions at mantalkradio.net. Re-listen or watch again. Search Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher for Radio St. George or radiostgeorge.com. We'll see you next week for another edition of Man Talk.